Hi, everyone. I'm Caleb Giddings from GunNuts Media, and you're listening to the Firearms Industry News Podcast. On this episode, I'm really pleased to have my friend Brett Burris, the CEO of Taurus, which is quite the promotion from the last time I talked to Brett. Uh, if you guys are interested in past episodes of the show, you can get them on iTunes and Alexa Podcast, which I think the actual app for that is called TuneIn. And of course, you can subscribe to us on YouTube or follow me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Caleb Shooting. And now that the boring intro is over, let's get into this. Uh, a little bit of background on my guest. Uh, again, my guest is Brett Voorhees. He's the CEO of Taurus, which the last time I talked to Brett, uh, he was working for Walther, and that was actually how we met. And when I found out he had moved over to Taurus, I definitely wanted to get him on and have a conversation about what's going on at Taurus and developments with that company. So Brett, thanks for coming on. I know you're getting settled into your new house and these Corona times are all crazy, but I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me on here. I'm, I'm excited about this. It's going to be fun. So, you know, we'll just jump into this. Uh, how many, I, I don't think it's widely known knowledge that Taurus now actually has uh, onshore manufacturing here in the United States, right? Right. So yeah, the, the, the brief history there, uh, we recently just moved from our factory down in Miami, which they kind of outgrew over the, I think they're in that building 20 ish years. Um, and they kind of outgrew it. They did start doing some manufacturing down there, but the majority of the pistols are being imported from Brazil up into Miami. Um, when they made the move to Georgia for, for various reasons, um, <clears throat> the, the goal was to expand that and grow and start bringing more and more stuff stateside. Um, we still have our factory down in, in Brazil, which has been a, they, they've made a, a massive investment there to, to grow that and get it up to where it needed to be uh, from a quality standpoint, from a manufacturing capability standpoint. And we do a lot of our trial run stuff before we bring assembly lines and different manufacturing processes up to the U.S. We start them down there, vet out the processes, and then move them up. So that, that facility down there is still a very key part of our business. Uh, but we made the move to Bainbridge. We did our grand opening on December 5th, which was actually before I joined the company, although hmm. I was in Bainbridge on that day because all the board members were there and I was in the interviewing process. Um, but they did their grand opening, had the media out there, all that stuff, a lot of customers. Um, and we've been recruiting, you know, talented uh, machinists and those type of people trying to get our, our workforce up. But, you know, the city of Bainbridge has been excited to have us and, and uh, they've been very supportive. So we've had a very good turnout in employees and, and a lot of people are really excited to work there. So that's been great. That's awesome. Uh, so what guns are you guys planning on having, you know, that factory sort of focus on? Yeah, so in Bainbridge, we're, we have a lot of opportunity there. Um, and if you ever see the factory, we have about a quarter million square feet of, of uh, warehouse and manufacturing space. So it's, it's a massive building. We're also on 75 acres of property. Um, so there's just a ton of opportunity there in general. But we right now we're making the TX-22 uh, pistol, semi-automatic pistol. Um, we are making the uh, PT-22, little tip-up barrel 22, uh, which is a cool little gun. And we're making all of the heritage um, single action stuff. So four inch, six inch, 16 inch 
single action revolvers in 22, 22 Magnum, and uh, and now a little carbine um, type of thing that is is similar in in function. So uh, very high output guns, uh, high volume stuff, um, a few hundred thousand units a year out of those three product lines. So it's it's pretty substantial. Uh, definitely have. Uh, pretty high output so that's awesome now you don't have to give away anything that's you know uh trade secret or protected information but do you guys have plans to bring like center fire handgun production uh into the states stuff like that uh yeah we do um the way that the way that i like to approach these type of things is is kind of crawl before you walk walk sure type of thing um so we will start to do some more assembly oriented processes there and then we'll start bringing in you know barrel production and more uh more in-depth manufacturing processes um as time kind of goes on so definitely want to bring more and more there we are we have an engineering team in-house so we are doing some of our development here in the states which is important and ultimately our our leadership down in brazil recognizes that the u.s market drives everything we should be doing and part of the reason for bringing me in is, you know, we, we want to enhance the reputation of the brand. You know, it, obviously in the past that the Taurus brand has had some hiccups for sure. That's probably putting it lightly. Uh, but we, we want to improve that. I, don't, I think every company wants to be known as a, as a reputable uh, manufacturer. And I'm not saying that we're going to be a, a Wilson Combat Ultra Premium product. Uh, we have the ability to produce a very high output at a low cost but we can do that while maintaining good quality control and, uh, and offer some great innovation. So that's really the, the thought process in bringing me in. And, uh, and you'll see a lot of what we focus on in the States is, is geared towards that. So we're going to be trying to, to build some exciting and, and probably maybe a little more niche product and, and definitely drive some innovation out of there. You know, I actually, I do appreciate you mentioning the, uh, the hiccups that Taurus has had in the past with quality control and with reputation management and stuff like that. Um, and it's, it's one of those things that's always been curious for me because so, you know, I've actually owned probably, let me think about this for a second. One, two, three, four. I've actually owned five different Taurus pistols at various points in my uh, gun owning life. And I can honestly say that like two of them were great. Like they did exactly what I wanted them to do. They ran fine. They shot all the right, you know, they did all of the things that you want a handgun to do. And then two of them were not great. And then one of them was, was really bad. And it's interesting that like, you know, the, I'm sure you've heard the joke of you get a Wednesday gun versus a Friday gun. Yeah. You know, the guy that makes the gun on Wednesday when he's feeling good, he had a great night the night before versus the gun that got made on Friday at like 3.30 yeah. and it's kind of quitting time. And so, you know, I, I think that anything that you guys can do, you mentioned this, that the plant down in Brazil is putting in more measures to improve quality. Can you talk a little bit about that or? Yeah, just um, more thorough processes is really what it is. So throughout the manufacturing process, um, you know, gauging parts, making sure that things are within spec before it gets into the assembly line, those type of things are important. Um, making sure that you're starting with good parts is is the key fundament of, of building a good, reliable gun. Mm-hmm. Um, because, it, and there's some investment in engineering talent and resources as well. They're 
they're building or designing better guns in general. Um, but as long as the design sound and the parts are good, in theory, everything else should come in and, and work well. Um, but you have to spend the time and effort to check that throughout the process to make sure you're not putting something out there that, that should have been caught. Um, so this actually started maybe four years ago um, under previous leadership and the, the team in Brazil is fully bought into it for sure. Um, but they actually started out in the U.S. and, and doing 100% inspections. Every gun that came in the door went on hold and it went to QC inspection before anything else. So the reason for that is we need to stop it from going to market um, if we can. And then once you can implement that, then you go back and say, okay, now we need to stop it from coming to the U.S. if mm -hmm. there are problems. Keep it in Brazil because it's a lot cheaper to fix there. Right. Um, so they kind of started implementing these measures. And then over time, it's, it's leaked all the way down to parts manufacturing. And, and we do most of that in-house or, or pretty much all of it in-house. Um, so we have direct control over that stuff. And, and that's a big component of it. Well, and that's one of the interesting things, too, that a lot of people don't know is that, you know, Taurus is, you know, you, you can actually control the vast majority of your own production because you have the forges, you've got all of the other like component creation bits that a lot of other companies don't really have access to, you know, they're either buying forgings or castings from other places to get them. So, you know, it's always, I've, I've always had the idea that if a company can control their, you know, the creation of their gun from a piece of metal into an actual gun and they can manage good QC through all of that, the finished product should be pretty cool, right? Yeah, and I think that's a, it's a big component of our success and, and really our ability to, to provide a good gun at a lower cost than everybody. Um, sure, the labor in Brazil is a little cheaper as well, but um, you know, ultimately we have, we have a very high head count down there. So the overhead is high. Mm -hmm. It's a matter of, you have to maintain a certain amount of volume to be able to achieve those, uh, cost cutting measures, but we do all of our MIM start to finish in house. And of course, MIM in, in the firearm industry, there's a little bit of stigma there. Um, there's certainly a place for MIM if it's used properly and, mm -hmm. and it's good parts. Um, it makes a lot of sense, especially at the volume that we're doing, but we do everything from making our own molds to mold the metal all the way through the furnace and heat treating, uh, processes into a final finished part. Hmm. And I don't think there's another gun company that does all of that. No, I, I doubt that very much. And it's interesting you brought up uh, MIM. So for people who don't know, MIM is, stands for metal injection molding. And I would say back in the probably the late 90s, early 2000s, it started to get a bad reputation because firearms manufacturers, uh, we use Smith & Wesson as an example, since neither of us have ever worked for Smith & Wesson, um, that uh, Smith & Wesson, as just as, a, as an example, guys, don't get upset with me about this one, uh, started using metal injection molding to make the hammers for their revolvers. And people got very angry about this because it wasn't a machine, it wasn't a forged part that was machine tooled. It's, to describe MIM, it's, I mean, it literally is that. You have a mold, you inject liquid metal into it, not like the T-1000, but molten metal, and it gets all like scienced together, not an engineer. Uh, it gets scienced together, and the finished part that comes out can be tooled, it can be uh, polished, you can do everything to a finished MIM part that you could do to a cast or forged part. 
But what happened was Smith and Wesson, and this one I am calling them out, bought some crappy MIM. And that crap and those crappy MIM parts, well, they were crappy. And it sort of kicked off this whole thing where people were like, oh, well, MIM sucks because it's cheap. When the actual answer is cheap parts suck. You know, if you buy poor quality MIM parts, or they're going to be just as bad as a poor quality casting or a poor quality forging. You know, people are like, oh, well, this 1911 has a forged frame. And I'm like, that, yeah, a forged frame from Turkey. All right. Like, what a, a, this was an actual conversation. Just as an example of this, I was talking to somebody about uh, a Ruger 1911 versus this imported one. And the guy was like, well, this one's got a forged frame. I'm like, yeah, it's from Turkey. I don't know anything about it versus a cast Ruger frame that was made in the United States, but people who probably know what they're doing. Yeah. So, and, and what type of material is, is in that forging from exactly. Turkey? Is it S12 steel? Is it, you know, something a little bit better? Um, and that's what you really don't know. Right. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And, and to kind of go back to your point on what, on what MIM truly is, there is a, a ton of science that goes into it. That is, um, you know, you're by making liquid metal, you're actually mixing a polymer, uh, compound with metal. And so it, it becomes kind of this hybrid component. And then when you mold it, it's this part that's about 30% bigger than the part that you really want. And then it goes through this chemical furnace process that drains all of the polymer out of it. So then you have, you have this porous metal component that's still larger than what you intended the part, the part to be. Then it goes into a sintering heat shrinking process that will shrink it down to actual parts. So if you're not good at it, there's a lot of variable there that it can be you know, out of spec or whatever. Um, but the benefit is number one, machine time obviously is is zero because you're not really machining out of mm -hmm. a chunk of steel. Um, and and the other part is you can get dimensions and uh, curvature and stuff like that that you can't physically get out of a CNC machine. So if you want a component that's complexly designed without 90 degree angles that become weak, you can actually do that in MIM because it's just like molding polymer. Hmm. So well, there you go, guys. Yeah. So if you're listening to this and you were ever curious about how metal injection molding works, now you know, and we've all been made smarter today, and that's pretty cool. Uh, I do want to shift gears for a second away from engineering and stuff like that and talk about marketing. So you guys have always had, honestly, pretty decent marketing. And I was, and obviously, you know, everybody knows I'm a big advocate for the shooting sports, uh, and I and for a while you guys had, I know it was before your time, you guys had, like, you had Jesse Harrison, and then you had, like, a junior shooter that were sponsored by Taurus. Are you guys planning on continuing that, or are you going to, and, like, I fully understand sponsoring shooters is not always the best ROI. Like, so if you tell me we're not going to do it, get it. Yeah, I know. So, so Jesse's, um, Jesse's still on board, and, and I plan on continuing that. I've known Jesse for quite a long time, and, um, and I've always been – super impressed with her she's the number one she's a great shooter i mean mm -hmm. just no doubt about it um she's a great brand advocate for us and uh and she also is more than just a sponsored shooter she's she's actually a part of our uh payroll i mean she's on our she's an employee of ours oh, right so, on. um and, and there's a lot of benefit to that so she takes part in a lot of product development projects she's uh part of the marketing team She's on conference calls with us weekly. So she's, she's very heavily involved with our company. So a lot of benefit there. Um, 
and I'm, I'm a fan of that type of scenario where we have brand advocates out there uh, working for us all the time, but they have to be the right people. So obviously Jesse is one of those. I would like to grow that into a few others. Um, and I'd like to touch different segments of our, of our industry, not just competitive shooting. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think competitive shooting, those, those people, from my experience, tend to be very effective in, in that brand advocate role. Absolutely. You know, and I think that one of the things that I've always thought is that companies like uh, companies like Taurus and even other brands like Beretta and stuff like that, there should do a better job of engaging, not necessarily with, you know, at the super duper high levels of USPSA, which is great. Have those sponsored shooters, have your Jesse's and your JJ's and all of those dudes. uh, But also like engage with the guys who are, you know, sharpshooters and IDPA because those are the guys who are actually going to go out and buy your guns and you know you can put guns into the hand of somebody at an IDPA match and he'd be like hey this gun's kind of cool you know and he'll tell his friends about it and his friends will tell their friends about it so I'm always obviously I'm super biased about being an advocate for the shooting sports though but I'm glad to see that you guys are going to be continuing you know the competition program stuff like that and then also you mentioned something about you know touching other aspects of the market so you're thinking like the tactical side or because you're pretty deep obviously in the concealed carry market yeah and, and that's that's really what we make uh the most product in is is self-defense concealed carry type of pistols um, we don't really approach the law enforcement segment at all i don't think we're ready for that either from a support standpoint so it's i think it's important that you know you know you have to understand who you are and what you can do well mm-hmm. and, and I've done that in my past at Walther. Uh, we're just not there yet. Um, but I think that we can gain some momentum in the concealed carry realm as we try to enhance our brand. Um, because I think that, that there are probably some more serious shooters that are so focused on Glock or so fo- focused on what they carry that they're not even really considering us. Um, so I think if we can win some, some hearts and minds in that aspect, we'll, we'll definitely benefit from it. So do you guys, and this, this is my ignorance of your product catalog. I'm I'm actually pretty familiar with your current revolver catalog, but your semi-auto catalog is a little bit of a mystery to me. Do you currently have a pistol that's factory set up to accept a mini red dot site? Um, we do not right now. Um, there's definitely some stuff in the works. I think everyone knows that's where everybody, yeah, it's, it's a growing segment. We saw it, uh, in my past at Walther, you, you have to have some options. Uh, so we do have quite a few things coming that will address that need. Um, but yeah, right now we don't have a factory milled, uh, optic ready version. Okay. All right. Uh, let's see. What else did we, I, there was another question I had on the marketing front. So back to the concealed carry products. Um, so right now on the, on the semi-auto side, you're making your 22s here in the States, everything else is made. So walk me through the journey of a gun from Brazil to a gun store. Uh, obviously it's, you know, it starts there. How's it end up in Georgia? So yeah, right now we have, we have a little bit of a unique dynamic to that uh, supply chain question because we have obviously the coronavirus situation affecting uh, flights from South America coming into the U.S. So we're not able to, to uh, we, first of all, we air freight all of our product. Uh, basically, it comes in and within a matter of two or three days, it's in our factory from the time it leaves Brazil. Um, 
and there's several reasons for that, but the normal airlines that we use are, they're not able to provide that service. So right now we're chartering private planes to bring products up here. Uh, so there's a, there's a ridiculous cost associated with that. And, and uh, you know, there's that also might we're, be we're basically doing one per week. That might be the most gangster thing anybody in the firearm industry has ever said to me, though. Oh, yeah, we're just going to charter some private planes to fly our guns up here from Brazil. Yeah. I'm like, are you serious? That's like, I know, and I understand that's super expensive and it's got to cost you a ton of money, but that's also super cool. <laughs> like, yeah, like I mean, that's that's pretty rad. We, we, we have to keep uh, product flow in the market. We have to mm. keep cash flow between both the companies here and in Brazil. So it's, uh, it's important that we continue that. It's a little bit of a hit on profitability, but when, when the business, when the business is like it is right now, there's not really any other option. I mean, we would, we would be, you know, months without shipping product up and that's not a, that's not an option for us. Yeah. That's, I mean, and you're seeing that with, you know, uh, other manufacturers right now where their supply lines are just jammed up. Mm -hmm. Um, so you guys, so in Brazil, yeah, you know, so for people, if you're, if you're listening to this episode in 2021 and you're like, what the hell are they talking about? Uh, we are still in the middle of the coronavirus crisis. Uh, so, but the factory in Brazil is still producing. Are they doing, do they even do social distancing down there or are they like send it? No, they're, they are. So, um, yeah, I don't know how much of this I'm, I'm supposed to actually say. I'll, I'll probably give too much information out here. We, so we um we did work with our local government down there and the labor unions and those type of things to make sure we were you know following all suggestions that they had um we did send a pretty large chunk of our workforce home that were um medically at risk or or fragile or whatever you want to label those people um so they went on paid leave and that's really cool that you guys yeah it, it was well it was it was what we had to do to be able to continue operating. Mm. But it was also probably the right thing to do. Um, additionally, we've we've had to make some changes to our production floor and you know space people out as much as we can, uh, provide PPE equipment that type of stuff. Um, but ultimately, we've been relatively unaffected. We we are not we're not producing a couple of product lines at this time just because of the reshuffling of the uh, production floor focusing on our, our volume drivers, that kind of stuff. But yeah, ultimately we're, we're fully operational. So it's been pretty amazing. Still making guns. And I mean, there's no better time for it because people are buying every gun they can get their hands on right now. Yeah. You, uh, if you go on, if like, I, I go on grab a guns a lot at like 1130 at at night which is a terrible time to do that because i've probably had a couple of drinks and i'm like i should buy this <laughs> luckily they're all out of stock so i'm like oh thank god um now that actually reminded me of something else i wanted to ask you about so Taurus in the u.s isn't just Taurus. you mentioned you guys are making the heritage single action revolvers when did you acquire the heritage brand Oh man, that's probably a really good question that I should know the answer to. Um, it, it's been a while. I know that. Um, it, it's, I, I want to say it's probably between 15 and 20 years ago. Something wow. Like that. I didn't but know it had been that long. Yeah. So I, and I wasn't even aware, I didn't know that it had been that long or that you guys even uh, owned the brand. And then if memory serves me, you also own the Rossi brand, correct? Yes. And are there any plans to expand that in the United States? Are you throttling it? Because it seems like on the consumer side, because of the product overlap that you have, you've kind of pulled that one back a little bit. 
Yeah, especially in the in the uh, handgun side of things with the revolvers. Um, it, the Rossi revolvers, of course, there's there's some other reasons for this. I don't know if I should get into on this, but um, the Rossi don't, revolvers. Don't do anything that's going to get you fired, all right? No, like, I well, really want you to do yeah. good work at Torres. Yeah, I, I, I would try not to do that. But, um, you know, the Rossi line of revolvers had some issues. Let's just put it lightly that way. Um, so those have, have been discontinued and moved out of the product family. So Rossi is primarily lever action rifles in various calibers. Um, there's some single shot shotguns in that, um, some rimfire rifles, both semi-auto and bolt action. Um, so a pretty wide array of, of long guns. And those are all coming from our, from our uh, partner sister company, CBC down in Brazil. Mm. And you also own Diamondback, is that correct? Because I remember um, when that acquisition happened. It was a strange thing. I'm not. I'm not super in the know on how it happened. So, my to my knowledge, we never actually owned Diamondback. There was really, some, there were some agreements between the companies, and they they worked together on several things, but they parted ways at some point, and and there was never a, to my knowledge, I could be wrong. There was never a true buyout of the company. Interesting. That's, that's very interesting. So that's, and that's good information because that's one of those things that pops up from time to time is somebody posted a link to a diamondback and like, well, they're owned by Taurus. And I was yeah. like, are they still? Yeah. So that's interesting. That's good information. So for people listening, Taurus does not own diamondback anymore. They're off doing their own thing if they ever did own them. So they're right. doing their own thing. You guys are doing your own thing. And that's very cool. Now there was something that did come up uh, I believe it was in Brazil, Taurus got a military contract to produce an M4 rifle. Is that correct? Yeah. Any plans to bring that rifle to America? We actually have some here. Um, and we've, we provided some to some local agencies that wanted some uh, select fire rifles and stuff. Very like cool. That. We've done some of that here. Um, I think there were some plans on it at one point and they actually, I mean, they went out and actually built a pretty, pretty solid AR, um, I would say better than a lot of the guns on the market uh, right now. But I don't know if you remember if you were at SHOT Show when those came out, I think it was right after Trump got elected and everyone kind of cooled off on them. And yeah. so they just decided, well, these are cool, but we're not going to actually do it. Um, yeah, the AR market's tough right now. I mean, it's, it's still tough because everybody's making them. Yeah. And, and they might've sold a handful of them. I don't, I don't really know the background there, but um, I just know we have a few samples laying around and they're not, they're not bad guns for sure. Mm, very cool. Very, very cool. So going through the brands, uh, obviously with Taurus, you know, that's kind of, that's your, the big one in this, uh, obviously. Um, where are you guys, you know, you're you make a ton of products for the concealed carry market. Uh, where are you, kind of position to attack i guess you know i'm not saying that like you're trying to like attack ruger or anything like that but like who do you see when you're looking out at the other brands in the industry being like we need to do more stuff like what they do or we need to do less like what these guys do like who do you who do you guys view as your kind of close comp set um so there's there's probably some behind the scenes things that I consider a lot that maybe aren't uh, as visible to like the consumer market. Sure. So like comparing ourselves to, to certain companies, I think Ruger does a great job on their product launches. So when I'm, when I'm looking at how we execute those, I would like to compete with like in a way that Ruger does it, mm -hmm. uh, get the guns into the market, 
have them ready to go and then publicly launch. Um, you know, you avoid a lot of issues after the fact. And, and I think everyone can think back a couple of years to, you know, various companies, not just Taurus, but if you put a product out before it's ready, it definitely hurts uh, the the consumer's perception of that gun. So well, wanna... how many uh, shot shows have you been to? And it does, and this is 90% of the companies have done this at some point where they're like, look at our new thing. It'll be ready in three months. And then three months comes and goes and they're like, it's still not ready, yeah. but it's still cool. Please, yeah. please don't forget about our thing. Yeah. I, I mean, I did that when I, when we first came, when I first came on board at Walther, we launched the CCP before it was ready. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, I do remember the CCP. I remember shooting it in Germany. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Cause you went before, uh, before we opened our company there, I, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I want to avoid that. Uh, and, and so looking at our competitors, there's certain information like that, that I pay attention to. Um, and then in terms of like price points. So the last couple of years on the gun market has been pretty brutal because there's been a lot of inventory. There's been a lot of uh, production capacity that needed to be filled. And so manufacturers have started to creep down towards where we have been living. And so there's been a, a lot more um, big brands that we've been competing with. Mm -hmm. um, and I, and I think we've held our, our own pretty well with our, especially our concealed carry product, like the G2C um, those have continued to kind of own that space and not really be affected. Um, the, the G2C that's um, when, so when I was uh, running a gun store, I would buy those whenever my distributors had them in stock, I would load up on them. If I could carry 10 of them in the store once I would, because they would sell out by the end of the week. It yeah. was at such an attractive price point, especially for the market that I was in, in my store. And this is going to be the part of the show where I catch some flack, but I have become increasingly less dogmatic in recent years about how everybody should buy a Glock 19 and use that as their carry gun. Because like, look, maybe all you have is $200 and if I'm being super duper honest about what a self-defense shooting looks like, I would be willing to buy a G2C and bet my life that it'll make it through a magazine, yeah. you know, cause that's what I need. That's really like if we re and I know that like all of my friends who are into performance shooting and like even myself, I feel a little gross saying this, but like that, if we're really honest with ourselves about what a self-defense shooting looks like, if you have a gun that will make it through a magazine reliably, you're, that's what you need it to do. And if you have $200, you know, it's, it's easy for us, especially people like me who work in the industry, you know, and I shoot 15,000 rounds a year. I don't really think about the cost of the gun, right? I'm way, way more worried about the cost of the ammunition that I shoot to train with. So, you know, but for some people, like, the difference in cost between a G2C and a Glock 43 can be the difference between paying rent, you know? Right. And that's, like, and it's it's disingenuous for people like me to scoff at that because that's a real, because I, just because you may not make as much money as someone else does doesn't mean you have any less of a Second Amendment right. Right, you know? right. And I'm not trying to say that your products are for cheap people or poor people here. I realize that could have been misconstrued, but they're, they are affordable. You know, we would routinely sell the G2C in the store. This was three years ago. We would routinely sell them for, you know, $189 and they would fly out the shelves. 
Yeah, and I mean, it's it really goes back to our ability to produce that gun for cheaper. I mean, that's our that is our competitive advantage. It's not, um, in maybe in the past this was the case, but today it's certainly not. There are no corners being cut in in the manufacturing process of that gun, um, and they are all tested. When they come into the U.S., we still do uh, a huge in, incoming inspection, and I see what what is held back, and it's it's very minor. You might have a gun here or there that you know there's a manufacturing flaw that didn't get caught, but it's not a it's not a consistent thing that you see. Um, and when we do see them, we of course go through everything 100%. But there's no uh, there's no ongoing issues with that with that particular product line that would have me concerned about it at all so that's awesome man that's really good to hear uh, again because i assume i was my next question was going to be what's your kind of leading product in the semi-auto line and it's the g2c yeah like, that's that's by far the the highest volume um, are you guys still making the the pt92 we are yes um that's one gun that gets some law enforcement love down in South America. So we, there's times where we're starving for them and they're, you know, filling contracts down there. Uh, but we do still make them and uh, do pretty well with them. So that was uh, the very first Taurus that I ever bought was a PT 92 with a rail. And honestly, you know, not uh, honestly, it, it was a great gun and I bought it because I wanted an M nine, but I couldn't afford an M nine because yeah. and you and I bought it used so but it was great. I really like that and I always loved and my friends at Beretta when they hear this gonna be so mad at me but I always loved the thumb safety right. better than the slide safety. I was like this slide safety is stupid and I don't like it. It's fine. I can work around it, but this thumb safety I can actually like use it yeah. easily. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it, the, of course, the Beretta gun's an iconic design, and it, and it actually relates all the way back to the Walther P38 and a lot of uh, mm -hmm. design features, which is obviously an iconic gun as well. Um, so, I mean, if you're going to to put out a, a pretty close copy of a gun, it's not a bad one to start with. But no, nope. uh, I thought the frame mounted safety was a pretty a pretty good improvement on the gun, actually. Awesome. So do you have any new products coming up that you can talk about or is everything on double secret probation? Um, there's some guns that uh, are, are due to come out throughout the summer that are pretty exciting. Um, some of them are just line extensions and then there's a couple that are all new uh, models that will be kind of our new flagships, stuff like that. So oh, very cool. I'm not going to let the cat out of the bag on some of that stuff because it's it relatively large launch launches and we want to make sure we do them right. But Awesome, man. That's very cool. Well, hey, do you have anything you want to add? Man, I'm, uh, I'm just kind of excited to, to take on this journey. Oh. And I appreciate the opportunity to come on here and, and chat with you and you know, hopefully spread the good word. And uh, it, it's certainly going to be a long process. But I think things like these are important where, you know, I can come out and talk about the company in a, in a very honest manner. I think mm -hmm. uh, you know me well, and you know, I'm not, uh, I'm not hiding anything or sugarcoating anything. I'm, I'm, looking forward to taking on this challenge head on and uh, it's been a lot of fun so far. So, yeah, man, I got to say when I found out that you had moved over to Taurus, I was excited. Taurus remains one of those brands for me where I would love to be able to, cause right now in the States we have two top quality revolver manufacturers, you know, you got Smith and Wesson, you got Ruger and I would love to be able to, cause I went through your revolver line before this interview and I would love to be able to look someone in the eye and say, I, 
wholeheartedly recommend one of these three brands now, you know, pick which one does the thing. So I hope that, you know, you coming on board and the changes that you guys are making with quality control, with processes and stuff, I really hope it's successful. You know, contrary to popular belief, I don't want brands to fail. I want more companies making guns. I want to make more guns because the more of that that we get in the consumer market, the more likely I'll still have a job in 20 <laughs> years. Yeah, so man. yeah, man, no, I'm very excited for you. Uh, and I would like to wish you the best of luck with your, Thank you. with uh, Taurus. Thank you. I appreciate it, man. All right, guys, that is it for this week's podcast. I want to thank everybody out there for listening and remind you to go ahead and keep leaving those five-star reviews on iTunes. They're great. They help us. And make sure that if you enjoy this content, go ahead and share it with your friends on Facebook or whatever social networks you use. It helps us bump up our organic signal. I'm Caleb Giddings. Thanks for listening.